unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today, man? I'm good, Nathan. How are you? I'm fantastic. We took a couple of weeks off of recording, and I'm glad to be back on the podcast with you. And we've got a very special episode lined up for today. We do. Today, we are lucky to have with us Lori Haller, known as the lion tamer of copywriting. Lori is a creative strategist, speaker, author, and trainer. Her company, Designing Response LLC, has been creating award-winning sales generating direct mail, online promotions, space advertising, and design for more than 20 years. She's worked with every big name and direct response you can think of. She's the author of AWAI's Ultimate Guide to Building a Highly Profitable Graphic Design Business, and she works with clients around the world. Today, she's going to talk about little tweaks in the way your promotion looks that can lead to big gains in response. And before we get started, there's one other thing you should know, and that's this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims, and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. All right, Lori, welcome. How are you? Hey, I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me, David. You're welcome. So when we were preparing for this, you told me that you have a quest. Could you talk about that? Yeah, my big quest uh, for 2020 and beyond, and always, I suppose, is to annihilate the great gray wall of copy. Okay, that's pretty good. And I, I think I know what you mean. I've, I've seen uh, some people who I think probably need to talk to you or at least hear what you're about to say, who, who just put stuff down on a page and looking at it, you start to go into a trance of boredom because there's no white space and it's hard to read. Is that right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. And the thing is, most people forget these days, there's different postures of people. We're dealing with people that are like bent over on a teeny tiny phone. Maybe they're at a big monitor at an iPad. Or if you're working with print, you know, you're looking down like this and turning pages, reading left to right. So every single time when you're working on a campaign, you need to address, you know, who you're speaking to, obviously but where they're going to be and how you're going to take care of all the copy you want to feed to them. So when you and I uh, were talking earlier about that gray wall of copy that tends to come up, what happens is, you know, we're here to entertain these days. People are used to now seeing videos, audio, hearing things, all kinds of colors and uh, interesting visuals. So if you and I don't take our copy and what we do with it seriously, that gray wall can just immediately bore them, just like you said, pop off the phone, 
stop looking at the uh, monitor and, you know, obviously if they don't read your copy, they're not going to be able to say yes. So it's, it's imperative that when you work with a designer or creative strategist like myself, that you guys go hard on that and make sure that there's nuances, subheads, indents, just like you said, white space, all these things add up to intriguing them, engaging them, and make sure they stay on for a long while so you can build trust and get that sale or the email or whatever you're um, after. Yeah, so I got started. um, I mean, you know, we're we're living in dog years or internet years. um, So um, it seems like a very long time ago that I got started in this. When I got started, dinosaurs were still roaming the (laughs) earth. And... Um, there was a, a saying in copywriting and direct response that ugly sells. And so I, I think, I mean, have you noticed that there, there are copywriters that are very resistant and stubborn um, to accepting what I, what I think sounds personal, per, perfectly reasonable now um, mm. to what you're saying? Do you have any examples of people who maybe you've been a little skeptical and how you've brought them around. Yes, I, I actually have several of those, but um, just to bring you like up to how things happen, uh, you know, a marketer or a company will come to me and ask me if I'm available. They'll hook me up with a copywriter, you know, have I worked with them before? So um, I take it very seriously when I meet them at the start because it's important for me to project how I can come in and make such a big impact on their copy. Now, you know, sometimes people have either heard of me or worked with me before, but at times there are people that have never worked with a designer that goes so full force like I do. And I get a little bit of this, like, wait, what's going on? So It's really important as a copywriter, one of the biggest tips I'll give you, if there is a designer that you're paired up with, like myself, which comes to the table with lots of strategy, psychological behavior, research, you know, time after time again of getting big winners, that you try to pair up or at least listen. Uh, With this particular instance, this copywriter was a little, um, you know, nervous or something was going on. So I tried to make them comfortable by um, sharing with them what I learned when I did my three-step copy review, their copy. I gave some examples. And then finally, after a good 15 or 20 minutes, I could feel them relax and not so resistant. And they were able to then listen and hear, and we were able to go back and forth. It's It's that profound connection together. That's what you want. So you're Again, you're really doing yourself a disservice, your copy, your campaign, and the outcome of it. It can be a game changer if you just uh, get tightly connected, go back and forth with your ideas, and um, you know, end up with that true spellbinding winner, right? Yeah. Now I know that you know I I would trust you with my life, and certainly on (laughs) any any copy I'm doing. There are um, a lot of designers who don't understand direct response and they're looking at it in terms of beauty and um, um, artistic <laughs> uniqueness and so forth. 
I, I think maybe some of the people, not exactly in your field, but uh, they, they've given a bad name to designers and, and oh. yet there, there are, you know, there are people who will, I've seen things where the type is like six or seven points and, and, um, or, you know, I mean, could you talk about like some of the basic principles that, um, that a copywriter or a business owner is going to find in a designer? Let, let's talk about color, for example. What do we need to know about color and what should a designer say about color to make you feel comfortable that they know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Now that's a good point. Good question. Color is so important because it captures the essence and the feeling of the copy. For example, if I'm doing a natural health supplement uh, sales page online, for example, and it's uh, something that's going to assist with relieving joint pain, now, a lot of designers know that black and red and yellow are the most easiest colors together as a combination to read. What they don't go deep enough on is that they need to get into the shoes of their reader. When the reader has this joint pain, it's like red, throbbing, you know, whether it's their elbow, their hip, whatever it is. So the use of red should be very limited on something like this. You want to go with a soothing blue, blue tones, the black font that's easy to read, obviously. Maybe green if it has a natural um, supplement additive or something like that. So knowing colors and the feeling and what they conjure up behind them, what does green feel like, gray and tan? What does red, you know, brown, what do these uh, colors conjure up? So I think deeply, I will even set up like six or eight colors in blocks and show them to the copywriter. I'll, I'll find photos of who I feel that that person is that I'm specifically speaking to so we can see them. And by reading the testimonials and highlighting on testimonial sheets, those words, those help me and assist me in choosing colors and fonts and everything else. Yeah, that's, that's good. Um, it seems like, at least for a time, I don't know if it's still true, everybody was using a lot of red and black on their mm -hmm. copy. Um, what I, I understand that if someone is having, say, a, a lot of joint pain or something, um, you really don't want to hit them too hard with that. But there must be times when red's a really good color, are there? Mm -hmm. Definitely. Red can be a very impactful color for you right now. I will say, though, you have to think about additionally what's going on in your world. Right after COVID erupted, everything that we saw on TV came in emails, you know, on social media. Everybody was using that bright red. Do you remember that? Urgent, things like that. So I uh, instructed all of my customers to kind of veer off of red for a while. Just use it in Agora. Typically, we would do urgent, you know, making big, impactful typography with red. We need to lay that aside a little bit. I switched the red tone to a deeper, richer, more trusted red and just very slightly went in with that bright red that you would typically see. Now that COVID is moving around um, and, you know, 
changing a little bit. It's been out there for a while. We're adding more red back in. So it's fine and dandy to use it, but use it uh, with a good eye, an eye for your audience. When do they need to see that? Is it on the order form when you want them to see yes? Is it on a special report? Make solid decisions based on need. Yeah. And and you're you're mentioning the typography. Um, could you talk about font and um, some big mistakes you've seen people make and how you fix them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely type fonts are the biggest boo-boo that people make. Um, what happens is, I think, uh, designers come out of design school and they've um, you know, cracked the code and they're trying all these things out. So there's millions of fonts, as you know, available these days. Me, I'll tell you a little secret. I stick to just like five or six fonts. You know, I'll use Arial, Times New Roman. I'll use a typewriter font once in a while. Futura or like a heavy, thick font. Uh, Clayton and I would use Impact and Aiken Bold together for our headlines. Once in a while, I'll use a very easy to read uh, handwriting font to, you know, free report, look here, something like that. But out of all those fonts available, you know, even I just stick to five or six. Very readable. Uh, readability is king here. Uh, readable fonts. And um, that has been driven home for, you know, or was driven home for about 25 years with my work and with Clayton. Um, Clayton Makepeace, right? In late yeah, Clayton Makepeace. Beloved yes, Clayton. Definitely. Um, we worked together, you know, for decades on winners and, uh, we had so many deep conversations about that. Readability is king. Just going in there and fine-tuning how close is this sentence to the next one, you know, that letting in between lines. How far and how much space do you leave between this paragraph and the next one? If you leave too much space, we know that people can become distra- you know, distracted and uh, maybe they'll hop off, they'll leave the phone or uh, whatever they're looking at in print as well. You want to leave just enough space so that they can, this is like a little tip that we came up with uh, over the years, just enough space so they can take a breath, you know, kind of understand what they just read, but that forced them to go back on, down, down, down the page or turning the page in, in print. So the font the combination of a large uh, size. Like I said in the beginning, if you don't know who your reader is, you're sunk, you know? So if I'm working with uh, speaking to a 65-year-old man or woman with uh, the needs of retirement, uh, stacking up stocks, you know, and uh, investments, we don't want to use this teeny little tiny fancy font that you'd use in Vogue magazine, you know, for example. We want something that they can easily read, something that looks like the New York Times, for example. That's what they're used to reading. So fonts and the use of them, it's king. Well, yeah, you said something really interesting that I'd like to dive a little deeper on, and that's readability is king. It seems to me, not being a designer, but observing the work of a lot of designers, that there's a lot of designers wanting to be very hip and cool and they are operating on an assumption, maybe never spoken out loud, but nevertheless strongly felt that readability isn't cool, that your design, it, mm. it looks too 
plain Jane and it doesn't look creative enough if it's readable. Have you noticed that? And what do you think about that? Yeah, I noticed that a lot. Um, you know, I train designers globally or teams of designers with exactly these tools and tips and tricks that we're talking about today. And um, at first, until, you know, we do a couple uh, meetings together, they will be trying to maybe impress me or impress their client or impress the copywriter, you know, that they can come up with all these lavish designs. And, you know, I too can come up with something very fancy. But if you get down into the nitty gritty and what's important, copy is king and design is merely here to assist and make that readability sing, show the visuals that'll bring them in and convey that important message that uh, you've been writing for all those months. So um, after a couple um, like lessons together, trainings together, they finally come around, I watch it happen, uh, where they realize that we're not just here to you know, have fun, like in the olden days, I guess uh, designers were thought of in that way. I, I rarely actually call myself a designer anymore. I feel like I'm a creative strategist. I'm trying to pick and choose what is going to resonate and you know, drive home that sale. So um, time and time again, Finally, they'll like simmer down and go towards those more one and done fonts that are really going to speak to the audience. Do you have some kind of certification or anything that says Laurie Haller trained? Because I bet there's a <laughs> seriously, there's a lot of people who are mm -hmm. very frustrated finding designers who um, just want to be elaborate mm -hmm. and exotic and they don't care about the things that you're talking about, you know, readability. Yeah, I don't have something like that per se. Um, I am working on a course for uh, AWAI right now, Graphic Design Success. And I believe that when people go through this training, they'll have this under their belt. So perhaps they'll, you know, use that on their resume or something like that. But um, definitely the points that we're talking about today, they can either make or break that campaign. You know, you've spent, for example, the last three months writing that copy. The thing that you want to be really careful of, and this is something that you can step forward as a copywriter if you aren't paired with the right designer, is just knowing that who you're speaking to, what size, what fonts a reader like that must see, and what those colors are, those visuals are, those backup analytics and um, validating pieces, uh, which would be charts graphs, you know, the headlines and stuff like that, it all adds up. When you have some copy and the performance of the copy is mission critical, who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. They don't do copy critiques last time I checked. A lot of people, from the most advanced to the up-and-coming copywriters, reach out to me. I do copy critiques. One client, Brett Alcorn, has hired me 20 times. Yep, 20 times. That's because on the very first critique I did for him, he doubled his conversions on a video sales letter. Every month, I do a handful of critiques for GKIC members. These are copywriters and small business owners who are trained and experienced, but they need another set of experienced eyes to go over their copy to take it to the next level. One A-lister told me I go over a copy like an IRS auditor. Now, I wasn't sure whether to take that as a compliment or not. 
But he assured me it was. He said, I can find the one flaw or several flaws in copy that no one else was able to and make winning suggestions on how to fix them. So when you need a copy critique, just go to garfinkelcoaching.com and click on the services tab, garfinkelcoaching.com for a critique. Thank you. And now back to the show. You know, what I'm, what I'm thinking of as you're talking is um, what a lot of film composers say about film music. Um, obviously, in, in some uh, aspects of music, the melody or the melody and the words are everything. But in, in film, the music is there to support the story, to support the words and the mm. pictures. And it sounds like design in, in indirect response copy has the same um, similar support role. Definitely. They need to be right there next to it. You know, it's that, it's a co-collaboration. Mm-hmm. You know, I always hold copy up here, but boy, we're there to assist the design, the visuals. They're the pieces that can kind of hold the reader on, especially if you have that wall of gray that we were speaking to in the beginning. Um, when I do that hard and heavy copy review at the beginning before I host a kickoff call, if I notice there's, you know, five or 10 paragraphs without a bold, an underline, an indent, some bullets, something like that, I'll definitely not be shy at all, as you probably know, knowing me. Um, I know you. And I will step forward and just mark up the copy with only subtle little suggestions or nuances. I do it in track changes. Hey, you know, I love this copy. Feels like it's speaking right to our audience. I believe these tactics are really going to drive it home. How do you feel about that? And we'll go back and forth. A lot of times on order forms, the writer will just forget. And it's for no other reason than that is that, oh, it's just the order form online. But boy, if they're going to go and read all that copy and then click yes, go to the order form, and you still haven't done these step-by-step processes that we know of, um, most times I have to go in and say, this should be a subhead here. It's strong copy. It drives the point home. This one should be. Let's get them down here to the guarantee. Where's your guarantee? Where's your, you know, uh, testimonials? So um, it, it really is a co-collaboration together. Yeah, you know, uh, one one thing that um, is hard for copywriters to face, but vitally important if you want to be successful, is. People don't want to read our copy. They really don't. They sort of have to um, when you've hit the right <laughs> emotional buttons. And it it sounds like what you do is make them want to read it more or make them not want to read it less, however you want to put it. Yeah, that's absolutely right. You know, there's a funny thing that keeps happening recently. I don't know if you've seen it, but one of the trends is uh, at the end of the sales page or even in a print campaign when you're selling anything at all, people are, um, instead of using the FAQ, you know, frequently asked questions, they're changing it to a Q&A. And nine times out of 10, when they put that Q and then write the question, they're doing it in initial caps, like it's a subhead or a headline or something. Constantly, I'm changing it to a sentence where it's just that initial 
I want to know why I need to take this supplement or whatever. Because someone is speaking, same thing with testimonials. When someone is speaking and talking, even if it's a subhead, Clayton taught me this, subheads do not have to, or even headlines, have all initial caps. If somebody's talking, you want it to look and feel and smell like they're saying something. That way you go in, it's that feeling. When you get the feeling involved with the copy and the design, that's when you grab them. They cannot shake loose. They're on top of it. And hopefully, you know, all these things add up to that sale. But um, I tell you that looking at those little subtle nuances is probably sounding ridiculous to you, but it is so meaningful. Mm -hmm. I know you've got to find every advantage you can to keep the reader on the page and to induce them to buy. Nathan, um, is this stirring any ideas or questions in your mind? Yeah, two things have come up. Uh, one, you were talking about readability. A few years back, I had a sales page that I was running traffic to, and it was a black background with yellow font. And then I, I was having a horrible conversion rate on it. And it was good copy. And all I did was flip. I changed it to a yellow background with black font. And immediately, mm-hmm. the, the responses went up on it. So tiny little things like that and and the ability to just change a little bit of HTML code and have that instantly change without having to go to the press and whatever. But that leads me into my question, which is with so much sales going on on the internet now and people viewing sales pages on a variety of different, sometimes they're on their desktop, sometimes they're on their mobile device, sometimes they're on their iPad and the formatting changing from one from one screen to the other, what are some of the experiences or advice that you have when it comes to making sure that a sales page looks and has the same feel and has the same, um, cause, cause I can imagine just that change of color, flipping the colors had a huge impact. I can imagine that viewing a page on mobile might have different responses than viewing a page on a full desktop and vice versa. Yeah, that's a very good question, Nathan. So here's what I do. Right from the start, when I'm um, signed on to the campaign, I ask, is this mobile first? Do these people only read on iPad? If this is print, you know, tell me about them. Is it for a big monitor? So sometimes, and David, I'll, I'll share some of these layouts with you. Sometimes I, I have this photo of a phone And I lay it down on my page. And, you know, for a sales page online, those first 12 inches are the most critical because it doesn't matter what you do on inch 89 because they're never going to see it. I will force myself to design in this little rectangle. I will break the headline and everything. This takes a lot of extra work, but I must see how it's going to read feel anybody can design something uh, huge for a monitor. You know, that's no sweat. You have to pre-know how it's going to sample down. And then I'll do a little fooling around with scrolling. Right when I get that Word file, I'll squish the Word file so it's really skinny. When I'm doing that three-step copy review and I go down and that's the telltale heart. So you're absolutely right. You must know where your reader is going to meet you, 
how it's going to affect them. And I talked earlier about the uh, posture. A lot of people don't discuss that or think about it, but if you're like this, it's going to look different. Um, many designers will come to the table with a design that I'm reviewing for their company. And um, I'm a little nervous about you using that yellow, actually. I'd like to say, I want uh, a piece of the action. I want you to test it with white on the background. And I want to get any residuals off of that. But you got to figure, somebody could be outside. Figure I'm a 65-year-old man and something came through. I'm picking my grandkids up from soccer. Oh, boy, I would like some kind of prostate uh, supplement. And something came through. It caught my attention. What if I can't read it? The only chance you have to catch me is on my phone. If it's easy to read, that person is not going to care at that point you know, how many years of design school and what 59 fancy fonts I know about and all these crazy colors and stuff. He just wants to read it and find out what can help him change his life. So if you think about it like that and step outside of it and become the whole time, you will see me, I will become that man with a bad prostate. I will pretend like I was up all night going to the bathroom I'm tired. I'm cranky. I, I can't perform at work. I'm angry at my family. I just want that supplement that's going to change my life. It's so easy to choose the fonts, the colors, and those visuals. Um, I think that's probably a big tip. That goes for the copywriter and the designer. And when you're together becoming that person, that's, that's when the sparks fly. So a follow-up on that, and I'll try to be quick with this. Um, you guys were talking about blocks of text earlier. A paragraph that's three lines long on a sales page might turn into a paragraph that's 12 lines long on mobile, and then it turns mm -hmm. into a block of text. What are your thoughts on keeping that in mind? Or is, is, is there tips or tricks that you found that make paragraphs or headlines better so that they can be viewed good on mobile and viewed well on desktop? That's a very good question. So what you want are chunks. Anything you do these days, whether it's going to be on you know, mobile or iPad or uh, desktop, you want that chunk up there that's big, it's uh, heavy on the top, holds the top of the page, commands, brings them in. And then just put yourself in, you know, in that position, you want something and you want to read about it. So you don't mind scrolling once or twice. So you could just stay on top of that copy and not be interrupted. But then, you know, people bore easily, they're distracted, give them something, really look at that copy and say like, scroll, scroll, it's like a cadence, you know, it's like music, scroll, 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 are there some bullets? scroll, scroll, a little bold somehow. Uh, when you're considering, this is a really good tip, and I'm just changing this at uh, the Agora um, company I'm consulting, and that is when you go to that order form, uh, a lot of people want to do indents with check marks and stuff like that. The next time you see something, test yourself on your phone. An indent on the phone, although it might look amazing on your huge monitor, an indent, then you have you have three words, boom, boom, boom. You have to twist your neck, boom, 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 twist your neck. No, let them read six words, like test yourself and see 
what are they getting? And I, I really think if people did more looking themselves and, and reading, I read everything out loud, even if it's uh, 82 pages, I will read it word for word. I catch big, you know, blunders, redundancies. Copywriters tend to have these three words they use all the time. I know everybody in the audience is like, oh, that's me, you know? Uh, but that's when those things really, they just, they like glow on the page. It's like neon or something. And uh, you can catch so many of these things. So, so just watch it. Does, it. does that make sense, Nathan? Just look at those chunks, a little space, chunk. And you don't have to be a designer. If you are paired, well, I, I can't state this enough. Today, copywriters can become almost their own designer eyes and strategists by just following these key tips. Readability is king. Give them a breath. Make sure it's in chunks so it makes sense. A lot of designers will put like a sub head up here, and then the copy that is attached to it is way down here. But they have that subhead so close to the other copy that came before. You know, think about how you would want to uh, digest. It's like eating. Uh, if I invited you two over for a dinner party, um, oh, and I can do some good dinner parties, uh, I wouldn't just throw all the food out on the table. I would invite you in with a really nice cocktail and maybe some little light appetizers. We'd wait a while, then we'd go on to maybe the salad. Then we'd have the main course, wait a while, then get to the dessert, that crescendo. You know, it's, it's so similar to whether you're doing a sales page, a print campaign, it doesn't matter. You have to be mindful and cautious, but you as a copywriter can do so much of this and speak up and um, tell your designer, you know, we need to, you know, have all of these things in line because readability is very important. Well, that's great, Laurie. We are running out of time. We could go, I could go on for hours with you. This is such <laughs> good stuff, but we've got to wrap up. Um, anything you'd like people to know? Do you have a product people, copywriters would be interested in or if copywriters want to hire you or I don't know, tell me how people should uh, get more, more Laurie. More Laurie. Great. You can go to my website. It's just my name, Laurie, L-O-R-I at Lori, L-O-R-I, Haller, H-A-L-L-E-R.com. And there's uh, something in there that you can send me an email. My graphic design success program online is coming out soon. I specifically created it for a variety of people, designers, copywriters, marketers, uh, business owners. And you can learn all of this very great detail videos over the shoulder if you, if you want to get more, but thank you so much, David, um, for having me today. It's just, uh, it's an honor, pleasure. I'm very grateful. Oh, well, it was delightful. Thank you for all your good information and I hope to see you again soon. All right. Take care, you guys. Okay. Bye. All right. And until next time, if you want more to fulfill your copywriting fix, head on over to copywriterspodcast.com and we will catch you later. See you later. Hey, if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app so we can get into ears of more listeners. Thank you.
This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.